smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. Smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we ask, is technology making us redundant? Will we all soon be replaced with AI? Vitaly talks to Tejas Kumar to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. In Closed Captions and Subtitles UX, Vidley Friedman points out that many of us turn on captions when watching video content to aid our ability to follow along. In fact, the inclusion of captions has shown to provide a boost to ROI and audience attention. In this article, Vidley looks at the design patterns around captions and subtitles to help you decide how to use them best. Louis Lazarus looks back at the top front-end tools of 2022. Who doesn't love a good front-end tool? In this roundup, you'll find useful front-end tools that were popular over the last year and will help you speed up your development workflow. Largest Contentful Paint, or LCP, is a major web performance KPI, which is still a new concept for many web developers since it became a ranking factor recently. In Optimizing the Image Element, LCP, Eloise Martin provides an overview of the best practices for the integration and optimization of an LCP image. Attila Fasina offers up code documentation streamlined. Writing code documentation can be overwhelming when there's no smooth process in place. Streamlining best practices and setting automation up in your favor works a long way to getting permanently up-to-date content that reflects the important pieces of your code base. Oh, yeah! And in A Guide to Designing for Introverts, Pratik Joglika notes that in a society where a collective of personalities comes together often, the typical behaviour is to be outspoken. Introverts bring an important balance to a highly vocal world. In this article, Pratik explores the typical traits of introverts and uses them to make parallels and categorise digital experiences that can stand out without being loud. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. He has been writing code since the age of eight and still continues to do so today. He is a DevRel leader, YouTuber, advisor, mentor, influencer, and has very, very strong opinions about pretty much everything. Previously, he's worked with G2L, I, Vercel, Spotify, and Sata, picking up things along the way, sometimes as a developer and sometimes as a manager. Now, he lives in Berlin, Germany, but most of the time, travels the world equipping and encouraging developers to do the best work aiming to make the world a better place for quality software. Beyond that, he's incredibly kind, passionate, friendly, and smart. And not a day passes by without him sharing his opinions again on everything Tailwind, JavaScript, and people uh, on Twitter. Now, we know he is a great front-end engineer and a kind human being, but did you know that he can easily type faster than 100 words per minute when writing code without a single mistake, especially if it's a live coding session in front of thousands of developers. 
my smashing friends, please welcome Tejas Kumar. Hello, Tejas. How are you doing today? What's up? I'm doing good. I'm smashing. I'm smashing things as we speak. I'm also doing smashing. Is oh, well, smashing you always look smashing. Always, I always feel smashing when I see you being smashing in some way or the other. Yes, you know, that's what, that's what my grandpa always used to say. Smash them with kindness. <laughs> oh, really? Well, this is, this, is, this is just the perfect beginning of the interview. Now, it's so nice to have you here. Um, you know, I remember everything from our strange bus trips uh, to our <laughs> walks in like somewhere between Croatia and Germany and, and whatnot. And it's always so, I don't know, it's so much fun to be around because you always have, again, opinions about things. Yes. You always express them with a very strong kindness. Why is that, Tejas? Where is it coming from? Yeah, it comes from a lot. Of, so when I do talks and things at conferences, uh, a lot of people tell me, they come to me after and they're like, hey, that was so genuine. I felt like that was very genuine. And, and it's, it comes from that. I, I, I'm a strong believer in, in speaking truth in, in love uh, or kindly. Um, and I guess that's where it comes from. Like I, I, I do have strong opinions about things, right? But I feel like they, they have to come under um, an umbrella of, of, of kindness and respect. Otherwise, nobody wants to listen to some angry person with strong opinions who's not friendly. Well, well, don't, you, know, you don't know. I mean, I'm very happy to hear, maybe not to angry people, <laughs> but like whenever someone has a very strong opinion, uh, I'm totally fine with that. You know, I actually just, um, there is Lex Friedman, who is a podcaster. He's doing all these videos with uh, uh, people on, on YouTube, like you do as well. We'll talk about <laughs> it in a moment. But he had just posted recently one thing. Uh, he applauded to all the people who are, um, who are attentive enough to listen to other people's opinions and their arguments and be willing to change their minds. So yeah. I think that if you are, even if you have a very strong opinion about things, as long as you are willing and open-minded to change your mind based on the arguments that come your way, right? I think this is, um, you know, this is fine for me. This is actually a very important skill uh, to have yes. as well. Yes, I, I think the, the underlying skill there is, is critical thinking and being open and receptive. Um, 100%. Like I was just watching um, the Welcome to Chippendales. I don't know if you've heard of this show, right? But Not in, yet, in, no. It's a, it's a great show. I can recommend it. And in that show, you watch the founder of Chippendales, like repeatedly screw up his company and and go into bankruptcy. And and the common thread of in his in his mistakes is that he just has a lot of this like entrenched, closed minded pridefulness, where he's he refuses to have his mind changed despite his strong opinions. And that's I, so I agree with you. I think that's something I try. I work hard at. Um, and try to try to maintain, and so I appreciate that you called it out here on this this uh, yeah, conversation. Yeah, sure. Well, you know the reason why I wanted to have you on the show as well because you have this, all these incredible experiences and stories you can share, right? And um, you know you're also being uh, you also are very public about things that are important to you, and uh, you're not afraid of uh, strong words as well by doing so. And so maybe just for everybody to be kind of following your story to know um, who you are and what you're coming from and, and so on. Maybe you could just share a little bit of insight about how did you end up in this front-end madness? Like where, <laughs> like, where is it coming from? Like, did you wake up one day when you were eight and thought, this is it. I want to write HTML, CSS, JavaScript for living now for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, when I was eight years old, React was actually a thing. I'm joking. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, but... Um, yeah, no, I was born with a with a disease that was really limiting, um, and I couldn't 
there's a lot of things I couldn't do. I had a ton of physical limitations. Um, like, you know, I made a whole like 48 minute YouTube video about it, uh, which you can watch if you're more interested, or we could talk about it here. I don't really care. But in with the limitations I had, I couldn't go to school every day. I couldn't carry a backpack. I couldn't open doors. I couldn't walk upstairs. I couldn't do a lot of things. The only thing I could do was take my fingers and type on keyboards with them. And thankfully, my family was relatively low income at the time. We were, we, we, I grew up quite poor, but we had just enough privilege to where we had a computer and a keyboard. Um, and since this was the only thing I could do, in many ways, I feel like you know, coding found me. Um, and I, I was drawn to, I have a YouTube video coming about this, coming out about this on Thursday. I, I, ha I was drawn to the quick feedback loop of JavaScript where like you just write a little bit of code in like your browser's console and it executes. And I was like, whoa. Um, and it's, it's that kind of, whoa, that kind of, I found when I was eight, just kind of playing with browsers and code. And it's the same, whoa, that I chase today. Mm, that's interesting. So would you say that this was specifically then JavaScript that kind of spoke to you? Or would you say that it's just, you know, if Flash was still a thing, it'd still be running around uh, building Flash websites? That's an excellent question. No, it, it's definitely not JavaScript at all. It was, it was, well, it started with Photoshop. So, you know, like I, I was... Photoshop? I was, what is yeah. Photoshop? They just... <laughs> Yeah, I know. Right nowadays, with like Figma and stuff, Photoshop's a bit lost. But I, when I was look, when I was young, Photoshop was the design tool. It wasn't just for photo editing and manipulation. It was like for, at least I used it for creating stuff because vector wasn't so recommended at the time. And so, like when I was younger, Vitaly, we had like Mac like, OS. Even Aqua. younger? Yeah. No, even no, younger. Was, no, no, not even younger. <laughs> when I was younger than I am now, when I was you know kind of just getting into it mac os aqua the the ui the design principle aqua thing was was very you know in vogue and everybody was trying to design these like shiny balls <laughs> well, i remember them vividly yeah, yeah, I know. yeah the shiny yeah. balls and so i did tutorials on photoshop i was like i want to make a really shiny ball and then from there i moved to tux you know they made these like penguins with like gloss effects mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's where i started and i was like wow this is so beautiful and then i found the slicing tool where I could design something and make it HTML. And I was like, whoa. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is cool, but how do I make it interactive? And then I found JavaScript. So the draw was really like creating stuff without yeah, any yeah. physical damage to myself and without any like financial requirement. I was just, I was able to create stuff without any barriers to entry um, other than the like crappy old keyboard and computer we had. So right. that, that was it. Yeah, the magic thing for me was really this moment when I realized that I can actually make it available to everybody else. Right? That was that magic thing. I mean, I remember FTPing all the way. And yes. I, I mean, there were plenty of uh, free servers out there, like with all the kind of advertising and all of that. Um, and I was just, wow, there are 12 people who visited my website in the last <laughs> three months. It was incredible. <laughs> that was just really mind-changing, like, like mind-blowing, life-changing for me. That's yeah. like really incredible. And if I look at the industry now, like the industry is so mature. There are so many... I mean, incredible things. Like the thing that we're building on the internet, uh, on the web, it's just unbelievable. It's just, yes. uh, it's just, just the, the level of software engineering and all. Just yeah, really, but really you know, Vitaly, I feel I feel a bit sad that it's so mature now that it's you know when I was younger, um, not younger than when I started. <laughs> like, <laughs> I assume that. Yeah. Um, as I was growing up, put it this way, I was often terrified of being a quote-unquote mature adult because when i was younger and rebellious like 
being mature was like being boring for me. I was like, oh, I have to put on a suit and tie and kind of be boring. Like the childlike wonder was lost in my definition of maturity many years ago. And I, I, I liken that to today. You say the web is mature and I agree with you. Kind of makes me sad because I feel like in this maturity, we've lost a lot of the awesome whimsy that we used to have. Like, I don't know if you remember these like GeoCities, Angel Fire type of websites with the under construction banner and like all of the, you know? I mean, you can still have them on the web. It's just not many people do. Right. But like, it's because it's not cool anymore. And I want to bring that back. Like, I remember the dancing baby for no, like every website just had a dancing baby. Uh, and and a cursor that was a clock that would follow your cur- anyway. Right, so like, all right, of this, right. I feel like we've lost, and I'd I'd like to see more of that. Anyway, yeah. sorry, just a little rant. Yeah, about- no, I think it's actually in many ways it's like we're always moving in circles. I have a very strong feeling that in many ways, when I look at uh, you know when you look at e-commerce websites, you probably don't want to have it there necessarily <laughs> unless it's unless it's I don't know maybe it's a brand with a strong <laughs> personality and things like that. That might be okay, but uh, in I do feel like we are. A little bit too uh, used to getting things done in a certain way. And I mean, uh, very often we think about, you know, we have to be conventional. We need to follow particular guidelines and rules. And we probably should if we want to be conventional and we want to follow the rules and want things to be familiar to everyone. But I mean, there's also this notion of surprising people. And I'm not talking about like delight necessarily, but just surprising them, just making them think a little bit about where they are and what they're doing. I mean, if I look at your website, well, every time I come to the site, for some reason, I see a slightly different and sometimes slightly strange photo of yourself, <laughs> sometimes in very different outfits. Yes. Right? So is that the kind of um, you know, the whimsical that you're kind of mentioning there, speaking about? Yeah. Yeah. If you drag your cursor, if you move your cursor around, like it just cycles through a bunch of random photos of me. Um, it's open source. So I've lost control. of. So, so people will like add pictures of me dressed as a flower, pictures of some muscular guy. You look fantastic as a flower, if I may yeah, say so. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, they, they'll do like some muscular guy shirtless with just my face photoshopped on him. Like they'll do all kinds of weird things. This is not me. This is the community um, who feel the need to add weird pictures of me on my website. But that's what I'm, it's exactly the whimsy I'm talking about. And as you dra- like drag your cursor across, you'll see some of these. And I, I like that. And I feel like, uh, to your point, smashing does the perfect balance of this with the cats the cats are not like you know if you're if you're talking about content and great content great tips great whatever smashing does the cats are really non-essential but i feel like they are essential because they bring that awesome whimsy so i i I like that you all do that as well i think it's much needed yeah so i think that we do like cats i mean it's been it's been quite a journey with all the cats i mean i don't even know where they have been and have not been at this point right yeah Uh, but also speaking about you where you have been and where you have not been yet i mean you've been working in so many really cool companies um i mean i look at varsal spotify um zeta recently right uh Maybe, maybe I don't know if you could share some insights about what did you learn from each of those things? Like maybe there were some really interesting insights that you would, you wish you'd known um, earlier in your career. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, this is the, I was just talking to um, my good friend Fabian. I just had lunch with him and he mentioned he's reading this book by an ex Google engineer called Solve for Happy. Um, great book. And and in that book, he talks about how really nothing is really good or bad or happy or sad. It's just, it's, it's our perception of it. Um, and and I, I feel this way about the jobs that I've left because um, there's lessons in there uh, from, from each of them. Um, most recently from Zeta, you know, I, I learned the, 
the the actually from Zeta and G2I, both of these companies combined, I've learned the value and importance of um, urgency, ownership, and autonomy. I think that's really important. In fact, there's an old Steve Jobs interview when he was much younger. He had hair and was alive. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he, he said... Uh, people tend to leave when they feel like they can't have ideas. Um, and that's, I, I saw that. I saw it executed very, very well at G2I where, you know, I was reporting to the CTO and he was just like, he would talk to me on Monday and, and ask me what my plan is. We'd align and he'd be like, awesome, make it happen. Goodbye. Come to me if you need anything, but I trust you. And this phrase, I trust you, I learned how powerful that can be in a position of leadership. Um, and then I would continue to have multiple management leadership roles there, um, even as director of developer relations at Zeta. And that's something I carried with me from G2I was this, I trust you, uh, make it happen. So I would talk to my team on Monday. We'd kind of plan for the week. And then by Friday, well, on Monday, I would tell them, I would say, see you Friday, come to me if you need anything, but I trust you. And then we'd go to Friday where we would have kind of just an end of week, like, what did we do? How do we feel? Check in. Um, and this was excellent. We came up with this really nice rhythm that facilitated this kind of urgency and ownership without stress. Urgency without stress. It was really, really nice. Right. I mean, one thing that I noticed uh, recently is that many companies try to be very careful about how, um, on the one hand, to give people this sort of autonomy to just trust them and do the work. Because again, when you think about micromanagement, it's uh, such a bad kind of really bad pattern to use. And uh, I mean, I, I, there are pl probably plenty of companies that are still my, uh, micromanaging on some level. Um, but I think there is this way of crystallizing, I guess, in some way, those things that really work and things that do not work. One thing that I saw companies using, and it works, seems to be working really well, this idea of, maybe you've heard about this as well, is the idea as a manual for me. That means, for example, where you say, okay, um, every single individual contributor or anybody manager, doesn't matter really, everybody, every single person who is working in the company, you better go ahead and try to prepare a little Google Doc or Notion document or anything like that, where you describe how do you work comfortably? What is important to you? Like your calendar, your preferences, when do you work best? So is it okay to disturb you in the morning? Is it better to disturb you slightly later in, when it comes to an urgent meeting or things like that? And so everybody's encouraged to create this, uh, as long as it can be a mural board or mural board or anything like that. And so everybody's encouraged then to put a link to it in the Slack profile. And so everybody knows, okay, I, I don't know who that person is. And especially in a big corporation, a big company, we have maybe tens of thousands of people working. Right? Uh, it might be very, very comfortable to be able to say, okay, I need to reach out to that person in that position from the team. But I don't want it to come across as, you know, in, you know, kind of pushing my ideas or whatever I want through their agenda in some way or the other, disrupting them. But I wanted to be more respectful. Um, so that was really magical when I saw that. And I thought, wow, I really appreciate it, especially in a remote first uh, environment that way we are working. We, we did that at G2I as well. We had um, social contracts, they were called, these documents. And they, I remember them working really, really well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you say that for your perspective, would you, now, now I assume that you are looking, I don't know, either maybe building something on your own, maybe uh, you're kind of looking what was around and all. Um, is it important for you that you're working remote first, like remote only? Or would you say, that's not a problem for me to go to the office every day? Yeah, it depends. Um, it, it, it really depends on a number of factors. I, I could honestly make the office thing work if, if the other factors were appropriate. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I don't think remote's a hard a hard line uh, for me. I was again to, to cite my friend Fabian. I asked him the same question. I said, "Do you prefer remote or on-site?" Um, and his response was like a third option, which he tends to think outside the box. He was like, "Well, honestly, I prefer a choice. Being able to do remote for a season and then on-site for a season. Like the choice is is the magic to him." And I kind of agree with that. But I could do office if it's required for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but also looking in general at the you know it industry like i know with the big i and a big t i guess at this point um there is a lot of stuff going on and many people are concerned uh layoffs and you know there isn't a sense of uncertainty about where we're going with you know is it is it still a thing to be a front-end engineer is it a good thing to be a front engineer i'm pretty sure it is right uh, <laughs> but where do you see all of this kind of being today is it like a, just a natural way of the economy is not in a good shape so sure um, there are layoffs after a season of hiring uh, or do you see do you see this kind of becoming a trend where we have to be um, careful and cautious about not losing our jobs for ai uh, yeah. by any means like what's your yeah. take on this yeah, my take on this is it's normal. I feel like look look at the GDP curve of any country of any year. Um, and what you'll see is dips, like recessions are normal and predictable and they happen. And when recessions happen, layoffs happen. It's it's. I feel like a recession is a sign of economic normalcy. Um, if it lasts very long, then then it's a depression. It's a huge problem, but I feel like it's, it's expected. Um, I feel like layoffs, unfortunately have their time and place they're not good they affect families i mean i um had the privilege of quitting but i I also feel the squeeze of unemployment um so i don't think they're good but i think it it happens i don't think the jobs will be taken by machines yet uh because because machines and ai is being designed now to kind of be a helper so i feel like it'll help us but i do think like you give chat gpt access to the internet which it doesn't have and then it gets like extra superpowers and gets more threatening but i feel like there's human beings with a vested interest in preserving human beings with jobs um so i, I i'm not so sure the ais will take our jobs but the state of the industry now i think is actually pretty cool vitally because um you know when when you and i start i mean you probably started way before me uh, so i'll just say well, when when i started i'm not calling you old i'm just calling you experienced that's okay that's okay um we're all friends here <laughs> no but um what i started there was no there was no front end and back end there was webmaster there was web dev and you it was the one guy or girl who would design develop and then drag things over to the FTP thing to upload to some shared host. Some of this is like quite common, right? Um, but then over time, you and I have had the privilege of watching like higher specializations develop. So we went from webmaster to now frontend and backend to DevOps. And then from that to now like machine learning engineers, data scientists, um, and then an emerging part of this is DevRel, is developer relations. I feel like is still pretty young, but I think the industry has kind of like a, like a, tree root with branches has kind of branched off into specializations and I see more of them occurring. And I think it's pretty great um, because that means more options for people to get jobs um, to maybe start at an abstract level. But I think it's better for humanity. One fear of mine uh, is that the world is becoming the tech industry is taking over the world, right? We used to have um, clothing stores. Now we have online companies that sell clothes. We used to have like travel agents. Now we have websites that sell tickets. Like everything's becoming tech. And this is part of the reason why you say I have strong opinions. This is part of the reason why I campaign really hard 
um, for diversity, equality, and inclusion. Because, you know, like plan A um, was heavily unequal uh, of, of the world, so to speak. I, I watched a documentary on Columbus yesterday and made me hate the world a little bit more, right? And so I feel like if we're undergoing some type of tech revolution where more companies are tech companies, advocating for fairness, equality, diversity, and inclusion is is massively important so that people don't get left out and equality doesn't get askew as it has been historically. I think um, it's also this notion in general of... I think us focusing a bit too much on speed. I remember vividly having these conversations a while back about, oh, well, the technology is moving fast, so fast, and we're going to do less. We're just going to do less because the technology is going to take over. It's the same with AI we see now. Like, oh, ChatGPT can do so much. It can be giving us answers, better answers, faster answers. And you can write code. You can actually quote, yeah, you can write code, you can debug and everything. So we're going to do less. But I think that reality, I mean, at least in my life so far, uh, it has been very different. Uh, it becomes faster, but then we tend to do much more. We always find a way to fill in, not necessarily the gaps, because these gaps don't even have a chance to appear, right? We are just moving. It's like, it's like everything, I have this strong feeling like in the past, maybe it's kind of similar to you as well, maybe not. I have a feeling that I was doing one thing and I was doing it interruptedly and then I would spend two, three hours on that and I would be kind of done more or less. Now it seems like... Uh, there are maybe 23 things and yeah. we, no, we don't do them in parallel. I don't really believe in multitasking. I mean, or maybe I'm just really bad at multitasking while other people's are much better, but I do have a strong feeling that it's all so fragmented and we do so many different things at the same time. And so I don't believe that technology is making us uh, redundant in any way. Uh, it's just, we're doing slightly different things, right? So exactly. But but talking about that, you know, one thing I do have to ask, because we probably, I expect you probably can hear the voices in the back asking, uh, Tejas, what about those frameworks and front-end? Let's talk about front-end <laughs> landscape in 2023. And, you know, one question that people ask me, and I want you to answer it, is, you know, we came from times when jQuery was a big thing, and it still is a big thing on many websites, I mean, legacy websites, and many websites in general. Um, do you expect you know, this world of frameworks to change? Or are we at some level of maturity where React is going to stay, Vue is going to stay, Angular is going to stay? I mean, it's impossible to answer that. <laughs> That's why I'm asking you now. Like, what, what's, what's your take on this in general? Is it, should we be talking like, like imagine 20 years from now, we're sitting in, in a podcast like this thinking, remember when, when React was a thing? And yeah. look now. Yeah, I, you say 20 years. I feel like one year from now, someone's going to listen to this and be like, oh my gosh, this Tejas guy was so wrong <laughs> about his answer. No, but um, so I think, first of all, I think the web is held up by giants who are underappreciated. And by that, I mean specifically jQuery and WordPress power more of the internet than React, period. Uh, so like the, a lot of them, a lot of people talk about, oh, they're not cool. No, no, they they power most of the internet. Right? And I think they, they should be acknowledged. Um, but th there was a time in React story where React had enough momentum and critical mass to look cooler than jQuery. It's the new thing. It's the new industry standard. Um, and then, you know, jQuery kind of got diminished, even though its usage didn't. Um, but it, it's, it's, I guess, perceived value got diminished and React took over. Um, and I think in 2023, we're starting to see some of that as well with React, where React is used a lot. React is 
I mean, I just put out a YouTube video about why React is unbeatable. And I do think it is unbeatable because here's the deal. jQuery and WordPress have not been beaten. Uh, they're also unbeatable to some degree. Um, and, and now, especially, you have teams at Google investing in React, um, investing in how React works in Chrome, etc. So I think React is here to stay, but I think its perceived value is diminishing in 2023. And I feel like it will diminish further with the advent of awesome tools like Quick and Solid specifically. Right, right. Um, and, and of course, Vue and Svelte and um, Angular are around. Um, so I think they'll all stay. It's just there's we're always looking for this newer, shinier thing. The big appeal, right, with the newer stuff, with, with Solid and Quick, is that they don't ship like a whole virtual DOM implementation to the browser, which is heavy and slow. Um, so React is objectively slower and heavier than solid and quick. Um, and so there's two sides now. It's divided. Like some would say, okay, but it's just milliseconds. They don't matter that much. Um, it's not true. This has been proven by Google, by Chrome, that milliseconds make millions. Uh, so I do think React is seeing its decline, maybe not in usage, but in like the popular vote in 2023. But at the same time, we also see that there are all this um, kind of fine tuning almost coming in where, um, you know, I don't know when was that. Like, well, I, I kept, I, I can't track track time anymore. But like five, ten years ago, oh, we have React and we have this full client side thing, and off we go. Uh, but then now, when we can run React on the server, we can now be a bit more clever, I guess, about what is going to happen on the server, how much of it do we need to ship to the client, and when, and when not, and, and all these things. And I think like, this is, uh, in many ways, you know, we moved away from this notion of let's have one single React application to let's have, I don't know, hundreds, like every single component we have might be a single standalone React application with its own life cycle and all that and kind of really changes it. But I also think that, I don't know, I, I learned that's probably there is no way to to know for sure. So maybe just tomorrow there will be somebody coming up with a chat GPT query and this is going to take <laughs> over both jQuery and um, and also React. I don't know. Uh, do yeah. you feel like something like chat GPT query could exist or help us in some way? Like binding and binding and making, I don't know, what can it do? Everything. I would I would be interested to ask chat GPT to write code for the best, fastest UI library on earth. See what it comes up with. Um, but on, on, a, on a more serious note, I feel like a big contributor to this shift from, you know, we're doing things on the client to we're doing things on the server that then influences the development of React and Solid and all the others to be more server-oriented is these, like, serverless platforms, um, Vercel, Netlify, Cloudflare. Um, these platforms have led to people, have led to what I'm calling server liberation. Like nobody server rendered before versus Netlify, Cloudflare, et cetera, because servers were inaccessible. They were hard to configure for like, you know, client side apps. You would need to do like a rewrite on a 404 to go to your index.html so you can download the client. It was very complicated. Um, and then these companies stepped in, they're like, hey, wait, we'll make servers easy. And then if deploying a node server is easy, now you're like, oh, now I can render on the server. And so they kind of unlocked this. So I feel like if we want to predict where the libraries and frameworks will go next, we can kind of look at what is the adjacent surrounding supporting tech um, that would lead them. Um, and I think that's kind of a good indicator. But I'm not in a position to make such predictions accurately. Well, of course you are. Of course you are. You're here on the podcast. You can you can predict anything. <laughs> you, you can see the future. I'm sure you've seen it. So here we go. Uh, you can definitely report on that. 
Um, <laughs> but also, uh, kind of moving maybe to a slightly different topic, uh, just just to just to explore the landscape. Um, you know, it's I'm always fascinated by by this feeling of community and by this feeling of bringing people together you know the conferences and we've been running conferences for many years now and you've been to so many conferences as well and i heard rumors and maybe they're not true but i don't know i heard rumors that you might even be thinking about setting up a conference one day yeah i'm actually starting Tejas Con. It's where everybody comes together and tells me how much they like me. It's like a Tejas party, <laughs> or is it? No, no, I'm not. I'm not organizing a conference. What I am doing is I'm partnering with conference organizers um, to kind of upgrade the experience to help you know enrich the conference experience. And and the reason I'm doing this is because, dude, like last year. I I went to like so many conferences. I mean, I was privileged enough to go to one of the smashing confs. Thank you for that. Um, but dude, like I've been to so many conferences, experienced so many things and kind of developed an intuition for what attendees want, what speakers want and the pains that organizers. I've spoken to Karis also, like the pains that organizers have to deal with. And so kind of bringing this triquetra of experiences, um, kind of working in coordination with the organizers to provide something very rich for people. Um, I think that's something that I'm very excited for. Also connecting um, organizers to sponsors. A lot of conferences don't have the privilege of money. Um, and with, you know, the amount of companies I talk to and et cetera, it's like connecting the right sponsors to the right conferences for for the best experience for attendees, really. Right. But do you feel like the, we are at this point where in-person conferences are back for good? Yes, 100%. Yeah, it feels like different parts of the world. It's maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, things are a little bit slower. But what I didn't, what I do know for sure is that there is this sense of enough of online stuff. We do so much stuff online anyway. Um, if we do something, then we do it in person. Now, you having attended so many conferences uh, last year, I think both virtually and in person, right? Um, what would you say... Would you say that kind of online conferences are here to stay? There are still plenty of them around. Uh, would you say that it's kind of, we had to do it for a while, and now we're probably going to keep it as a you know, live stream in addition to an in-person? Or is it a good replacement still? I don't think it's a good replacement. Like nothing will ever replace face-to-face in-person interactions. Like that's, you know, I, I said I'm not in a position to make predictions about front-end stuff. I can make 100% an accurate <laughs> prediction about this. Nothing will ever replace an in-person interaction face-to-face. Um, no screen can substitute like a warm flesh and blood person in front of you. Um, and so I think in-person is here to stay, but a lot of companies and organization teams have like invested time and money into getting the online part right that like, why should we throw it away? We have it now. So I feel like it will be a fallback um, and a second track as it were. And, you know, it's, it's not bad for business. You can sell a lot of tickets by volume for just some live stream and people will join. And I think it's good because there's people who can't travel that you yeah, get to include exactly. now. Right. So like, I, it's good. Um, so yeah, I think that's the future is, is in person, but also virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your yeah. future though? So, I mean, I'm, uh, very curious. You always have these ideas of things you want to do. Um, um, in general, I mean, again, having learned so much from all the different companies, um, there must've been some things that you, where you said to yourself, okay, I would have done it differently. Oh man, you can't imagine. Oh yeah. Please go ahead. I'm very curious to hear that. <laughs> um, you know, I've been in positions where I've been micromanaged to death, right? And and I'm very, like, I, I look back at those and go like, oh my gosh, I would do this so differently. 
the way I've done it by, by not micromanaging people. I think that's probably the strongest one, but also conferences. I've seen conferences do things, um, wrong, uh, for, I think the biggest mistake I've seen there is overselling. Like they'll show you a venue that's packed full of sunlight and everything. And you get there and it's just someone's dark basement. There is no sunlight. Um, <laughs> there's no, yeah. They, they turn off the sun for this one conference. So right. I, I've seen, I've seen conferences that will just not record talks uh, and, and they won't tell you ahead of time. So I think the biggest mistake conference organizers have made is a lack of communication, um, about important things. Like I want to know if I'm not going to be recorded. So then I don't make the effort of going there. Cause like a big draw is this thing's going to be recorded and visible for everybody after. And some conferences have like made it known, not at all that your thing's not recorded. And then like months go by and you're like, where's that video? Oh, they didn't record it. Oh no. So um, I would do those things differently. Um, but, you know, what's next for me? It's funny you ask, Vitaly, because it's a new year. Um, and I'm having, I've dedicated this week, so I'm unemployed in case listeners are unaware. And I have dedicated, I've started to feel the squeeze of, of being unemployed, put it that way. Um, and I don't know what's next. I've decided to take this week and figure it out. Um, I think I do want to spend time creating YouTube content because I like communicating with people and reaching people and, and really, yeah, this will sound a bit narcissistic, but blessing them with whatever I can bless them with. So I think YouTube is one thing I want to keep. Um, but really, I don't know, man. Um, do I join a company as an employee? Do I start my own company? Do I just remain a freelancer? I don't know. So I'm taking this week to talk to good friends and have them speak into my life and give me the best advice who know me well. Um, I'm currently leaning more towards starting, a, a, I can't say a company for legal reasons, but starting a type of company. An enterprise. Sure. Yes. Start, <laughs> starting an enterprises, starting an enterprise um, somewhere around DevRel. I, that seems really attractive to me. Um, and really, you're an inspiration for that watching you lead smashing, right? Um, I want to be able to do that, to give people a place where they can be creative and do their best work, et cetera, while also earning a good amount of money. I want to create something like that. So I'm kind of leaning towards that. I don't know if it's sustainable or if I'm skilled enough to do that, but that's kind of plan B. Listen, listen to this privilege, Vitaly. Listen to how ridiculous this sounds. My worst case scenario, um, my, you know, like fallback is I get a job at some tech company and earn a decent salary that's like the word that's unbelievable but that's kind of plan b is just take a job somewhere um of course it'd have to be in a field i'm passionate about that i care about um etc but yeah that's kind of where i'm at where where would you see yourself in general i mean like, there are many companies uh, many people who are trying to get to you know the fan club the the big ones the the facebook the apple the google the amazon and so on and so forth um did you ever think about, okay, I'm going to do whatever is needed? And I know that, again, uh, looking that you started coding back in uh, when you were eight, right? Um, and you were a software engineer. Uh, I assume that uh, that might be on your agenda to get to to this top five, top ten <laughs> at a company around the world. Is it, is it interesting to you or would you rather work in a smaller company? That's a great question. Yeah, so I, it was interesting. Um, I, I feel like the closest I've got to big company energy is Spotify. Um, and just by virtue of working at Spotify with 4,000 employees, I learned very quickly that this isn't for me. Um, so 
maybe, but I'm I'm leaning more towards no with the larger like tech empire type companies. Um, I feel like it would be great if I had like you know three children and a very busy personal life um, to go to work and kind of have that much structure and rigidity. Um, but at this point in life, I, it's, it's a no for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, interesting because I'm I'm being asked that as well. And actually, I was uh, on a very strong impression at some point in my life when I was thinking that if I want to make a good career, I have to work in one of the big ones. I have to do whatever it takes. Um, but they, I, you know, you know me a little bit. I'm <laughs> I like my freedom, and I don't want to be sitting day and night uh, working or anything. I mean, um, the work-life balance. And I mean, everybody's talking more or less about work-life balance. But I meant, I mean it in a very uh, it's very hard to explain in a very personal way. Meaning, I want to be able to say to myself, okay, um, and this is kind of the ultimate test that I put for myself. I never want to be in a position where at two p.m. On any given day, I have to tell me myself, okay, I don't want to do this and I have to, no matter what it takes, I have to do it for the next four hours, whatever it takes. And I kind of always wanted to be in a position to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to cinema at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. Frankly, <laughs> if I'm being very honest, it really never happened to me that I actually <laughs> wanted that. And it never really happened to me that I made it or, or I did it. But... I, I mean, this kind of sense of freedom is very important, but not everybody can afford that. And it's uh, it's a lot of risk, too. Yeah, it's also an emerging trend in the in the industry. Um, Zeta works this way when, when, I, when I was there, at least. Like, it's it's more results-based than time-based. So you do have a, you know, on, on paper, you have a 40-hour kind of work week, but you distribute those 40 hours however you want. Uh, you could do two days straight and then the next day go to a you know, movie theater in the morning. It, so they, they don't care about when you work. It's just that stuff gets done. Um, I see that. That's That happens with full-time employment too. I feel like with the fan club, ah, like just, everyone I talk to at fan companies, my own experience at, at Spotify was, you know, and this is not to speak ill of these companies. They're big companies with lots of things happening. It's just there's a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings to where you will have a meeting blocked. Um, and you don't like meetings. Me? <laughs> um, I like meetings, but I feel like, look, too much of any good thing becomes a bad thing. And I feel like, r respectfully, Spotify, when I was there, had too many meetings, um, it did. And and it's not their fault. There was a pandemic um, and they, they're used to working in office. They were not remote ever. So the pandemic made them go remote. But then there was a lot of learning to do about how to be remote. And I joined just in the middle of that, um, where async meetings were not really a thing and it was very complicated. And so I was just at my laptop all day in video calls because it's kind of like being in an office, you know, um, yeah, so no, I didn't enjoy the meetings. And I found not just me, but I have friends at Google, at Meta. Um, they'll accidentally like around me be like, hey, look at my phone. And they'll show me a photo from their vacation. And I see like notifications pop up. Oh, you have a meeting in 10 minutes. And they tap on the notification, go to the calendar app. And oh my God, like the carnage in this calendar app. Like you look at that once, you're like, okay, I, I do not envy you. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, surely meetings are necessary, but uh, it's also a matter of how to organize it. Because for me, uh, or for us, and, and at Smashing, for example, uh, we don't have many meetings, but also, most importantly, um, everybody can set boundaries in a way. 
So I, I like to have, for example, like for this call, right? I like to have like two or three days blocked out when there are no meetings. Yes. No meetings. It's, it's just almost, I mean, something must happen, uh, something bad or too good must happen for that day to have a meeting, right? Um, and it's also really just about having proper boundaries in place of this is when we work and this is when we um uh, this is when we have meetings although of course meetings also work yeah um, one 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 lesson i learned working in so many different places is people um i say people because i know people but even just speaking of myself um people suck at creating good and healthy boundaries in the workplace i do uh, I, I, I did more when I was more inexperienced, but still, it's a struggle to have good, strong boundaries. I feel like it it could work better if the employer enforced and enabled uh, people to think more about boundaries and even suggested, like, hey, maybe you should do a no-meeting day. If managers, like, like push, n- not push boundaries, but, like, um, how do you say, establish boundaries establish on behalf boundaries, of their yeah. people, um, yeah, and that's something I'd like to see more of. I haven't. I've seen the opposite. I've seen the lack of people's ability to set boundaries be exploited far more often than I've seen, you know, healthy boundary setting from the from the top. Right. Well, now I do have to ask, though, I'm just curious at this point, do you then have a dream project that you'd like to work on one day? Maybe, I don't know, uh, be building a, I don't know, some sort of software for a rocket ship or anything? Do you have any particular ambitions in that regard? Uh, you know, I'm really thankful, Vitaly, to say that this year, uh, I'm actually spending all of my unemployed time working on, um, three dream projects of, of my own. Um, one of them is a secret. I can't, I can't tell you about that. Oh, them. come on. Just give us a little uh, bit of a spoiler then. It's a very social thing. This is the spoiler. Um, but the other one is, you know, working on this DevRel startup consultancy thing i'm thinking of starting is the second one and that's i'm really excited about that worst case it fails and then i join a company as 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 it were but like that's something i'm excited about um and the third dream project is my youtube channel uh which i've wanted to be a youtuber for years uh mainly honestly because i like you know reaching people but also i i've Speaking about this Mac OS 10 Aqua Ball thing, I get to do that with video, like create beautiful, and I'm really into cameras and like making nice shots and everything. Um, And that's a cool project. It's a dream project, actually, to be a good YouTuber, keep emphasis on the good because I don't want to be an average YouTuber, and also to be able to, um, you know, turn it into a living. I feel like my dream would be to just kind of be a full-time YouTuber. Um, yeah. So that's, but, I'm, but, I get, but, I, but what about TikTok? We don't see you on TikTok yet. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I'm not so good at dances. <laughs> well, maybe like a, that's, that should be the next skill to learn. That could be my new year's resolution. Get good at uh, shuffling every day. I'm shuffling. So we've been learning a little bit about front-end and JavaScript and AI and other companies and so on. But what have you been learning about lately, Tejas? What has been your, what has you been reading or kind of a skill that you've been trying to get acquainted with recently? That's a good question. Um, for me, communication is, is probably the thing that I enjoy the most uh, based on conference speaking and stuff. And one thing I've been learning is the difference in like mode of communication. Uh, what I mean by that is like what makes a great in-person conference talk 
does not actually make a great YouTube video. And I find this fascinating that, that when it's a different modality of communication, people have different preferences. Uh, so like what I mean by that is if I come out at Smashing Conf New York or Freiburg and I'm on stage and I'm like, what's up, everybody? Oh, high energy. People are like, wow, that's awesome. But if I do the same thing on YouTube, they're like, dude, why are you, what are you, what, 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 <laughs> yeah, what are you on? Right. And that's something I've been learning how to, how to communicate effectively on different platforms. I, yeah. I, I've yet to learn the TikTok one, but I think it's mostly through well, death. You'll get there. I have no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Tejas, you can find him on Twitter where he is at Tejaskuma underscore. We have to talk. Well, we'll probably have to have another call about uh, why underscore. Why underscore? By the way, it's because the other one was taken. You know what? If Tages could delete their handle and then e- email me, I'd appreciate. Excellent. So that would be Tages uh, Kuma underscore on YouTube, where he's just uh, at Tages K, and potentially on TikTok, where he's going to show his best <laughs> dance moves and tips around the outfit <laughs> and react eventually, but also on his website. Uh, TEG.AS. We'll TEJ. TEJ, yes, indeed. TEJ.AS. <laughs> we'll also find plenty of photos of Tejas as well. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Tejas. Do you have any parting words of wisdom you'd like to send to the universe for people who are going to watch us 20 years from now? Yes, I would say this kindness and compassion is the most important. This is Smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at smashingmag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. Oh, oh, oh.